so as um, David came up and spoke, I was thinking a couple of things. First of all, how long I've known him, almost 30 years. We both had hair on top of our heads when we, when we first knew each other. But typical of him, he just laser focused right into to, uh, really the, the topic of the day. He said, we are people who are aware of our sins, but also aware of our need for a Savior. And that stuck with me, uh, his, uh, his opening words, because that's really where we are in this topic today. First John chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. As we're looking at the subject of prayer and this odd phrase, a sin that leads to death. And let's read verse 16 and 17 together. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There's a sin that leads to death, and I am not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. And for the majority of us here, we know that we have been working our way through 1 John as fast as I possibly can. And the reason is uh, when we come to sections like this, these are, these are areas that a lot of people want to avoid because they're difficult. But as you work your way through the text, it forces you to, to study it and to look at it and to try and answer what, what is this passage saying? Last time we looked at the beginning part of this where he says, whoever sees his brother. And I, I want to ask the question, who do you see? Who do you see? As you look around you, as you see people, as you see fellow Christians, do you see your family member here? Or do you just see a person, you know, someone that you're not really connected with? And he says, if you see your brother, if you see your sister, if you see your family member, commit a sin Pray and God will give them life. And I shared with you how that is life now. The way we are to live today. God created us to live a life, a certain kind of life. He created us in a certain way. That we are to function in a certain way. That we are to live whole. And so he says, when you see a brother or sister in a sin, they they are doing things that's going to hurt that life. And we all know that. We know how we mess up our lives when we sin. And things aren't working the way they should work. And so he says, God will give them life when, they, when, when we pray for them. Throughout this letter, John has made no excuse for Christians for sin in the Christian's life. And he states that in chapter 2, verse 1, which we referred to over and over again. As one of the reasons that he wrote this letter, he says, I wrote this, my dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. And so to live a life in sharp distinction from the way and the thinking of the world is what we're called to uh, is how we're called to live. He's, He's trying to make us aware and he's saying the world is asking you to live this way. And God has called you to live this way. There's two calls, the call of the world and the call of God. Which one are you going to listen to? Over in chapter 2, 
Again, verse 15 and 16. Um, find it. Yes. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who, who does the will of God lives forever. So that you have these two different ways of life. The world's calling us one direction. God's calling us a different direction. And so, as David pointed out in his comments on the Lord's Supper, Christ came to take away our sins. And for us to continue in sin is really living in denial of God's work, of Christ's work. Christ came for a specific work, to take away our sins. And that's not an abstract take away of our sins, even though that part is there, this abstract washing away our sins. But I think he's talking about our present, the way we live our lives. He's saying, don't live that way anymore. God has come so that you don't have to live this way anymore. Look at, um, and uh, we go through a lot of passages, but uh, chapter 3, verse 5, of, uh, and I'm in First John, nowhere else. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. If you have this life of existence in Christ, this isn't your lifestyle anymore. You don't go on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or, or known him. Skip down to verse 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That's the, that's the way the devil lives. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who, has been born, who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. And this whole point is there's a new way of living now. This is what we're called to do. We're called to live in a new way because he got rid of our sins. Not only our past sins, but our present. We're learning how to live in him now. And so this rejection of sin, this active removal of it from our lives, is stated all throughout John's letter and all throughout the New Testament. Paul stated this over and over with emphasis. He said, get rid of, and he listed sins. And in, in the text there, in the grammar there, it's an emphasis where you're pounding the pulpit, if you're a pulpit pounder, where you're pounding the pulpit and you're saying, get rid of it. Do not, absolutely do not do these things. And so there's no excuse for sin. Yet, John is a realist. John, isn't, his heads aren't in the cloud, you know, ivory tower type living. He's a realist. He knows that as long as we live on this earth, there will be a constant battle between our flesh, our bodies, the way, the physical life that's in us, and the spirit. And many times that sinful nature will win some of those battles. So in counter distinction to the strong appeal to live a sinless life, he recognizes I know sin is a part of your life. You're going to sin. We're not going to pretend that it goes away and you never struggle anymore. This is part of your life. And so, to each and every sin, there's an answer. And it centers in Christ. It centers in His blood. It centers in His grace. And we can go back through the whole First John, and we'll just touch some points real quickly. In First John chapter 1, verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, 
We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. It's a continual purification of our sins. Going into verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, if you say, I don't know, I'm okay. I don't sin anymore. It's all gone. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Face up to the fact you've got some sin problems. And you're going to have to deal with those. You're going to have to put some things off. That's true. But guess what? Jesus continually washes those away. Chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this so you will not sin. But if, and this really means since, since anyone does sin, since we sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Here's the answer to our sins. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And then you go down to verse 12. Where he says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Your sins have been forgiven, not because you're doing so well, but because of his name, because of who Jesus is, his character. Uh, chapter 4, verse 14. I skipped chapter 3 and the rest of chapter 2, even though we could go there. Verse 14 of chapter 4. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son, why? To be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And so we exist in this tension in life. We live lives where we desire. We, we don't want to sin. Our, our aim is to live a life without sin, to get rid of those things. Yet, we're fully aware of the weakness that leads to sin. And we know that our sins are constantly cleansed. We are people who do not make light of sin. But at the same time, we don't despair when we do sin. And I find Christians going to both extremes. And so listen, look at yourself here. Look at yourself personally. Which are, are, are you going to one of the extremes or the other? Some say, well, sin doesn't matter. God takes care of it and you make light of sin. And, and as bad as that is, the opposite is just as bad. People who are just down in the dumps. They're in despair. They're in depression because of their sins. And so we have Christians on both extremes, and neither one are good witnesses for the Lord. One who's, one who's just kind of prancing through life saying, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Everyone does it. God will take care of my sin. Nope. We're not supposed to be there. And yet you don't go around with that cloud over your head saying, oh, what a bad person I am. How, how unworthy, how terrible, how awful I am. You think that's going to cause anyone to come to Christ and say, oh, well, that's what I want to be. I want to be a depressed Christian. Either the extreme is the wrong extreme. So because of this constant cleansing, the forever advocate we have with the Father, through His Son, who speaks face to face with God on our behalf, the balances were filled with joy. We're filled with joy. We have good news. The good news is so good, it's hard for us to believe. We can sin and still be forgiven? Can we sin and still have access to God and still have confidence, confidence before Him? And John says, 
The answer is a resounding yes. But surely you ask, can one sin to the point that God can't or won't forgive? Is it possible to really fall away from God? And again, the answer is yes. There's a sin that leads to death. Sin to death, and that's what we're looking at. This nature, we have to look at the nature of sin. We have to understand what, what, what is sin all about? Because it's more than just doing some wrong things. He says at the end of the, we read it just a few moments ago, verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin. All wrongdoing is sin. We have a tendency to, to, to minimize certain sins. And we say, ah, that's just, that's not so bad. But, but John says all wrongdoing is sin. Not living the life of God is sin. Paul says it this way in Romans 3.23. I thought uh, David was going to take that one, but he went to uh, Romans 4. He says, everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. That's sin. When you fall short of God's standard of who God is, that's sin. And so we can't dismiss any sin lightly. I've spoken in the past of what I call misdemeanor sins. And these are kind of the daily Little sins that we go through life, little attitudes, little things of unforgiveness, little things of, of uh, you know, being upset, being angry, letting our temper get away from us. Little lies, little whatever, all the little sins of our lives. And then we have those felony sins, those big sins that, you know, we don't want to confess. Those are really bad ones. We don't do them every day of our lives. We struggle mainly with these little sins, but we need to understand as far as sin is concerned, it destroys life. It destroys the life you have in God. It separates people from God. It separates, it endangers the Christian. There's really no misdemeanor sins. I've called them misdemeanor sins because we're all just kind of, we do them all, all the time, but they're really not misdemeanor sins. It's, these little sins are infectious they're daily sins. They create terrible consequences as we continue in these sins. They're not little. They're not insignificant. All sin, we need to realize the nature of sin, all sin affects our relationship with God and each other. And we know how this works. You know, when we're involved in those little sins of life, how they affect our relationship with one another. The life source, God's life source seems to be choked seems to be diminished in our lives by these little sins. There's a degree of um, disruption in our communion, our fellowship, our relationship with God and, and with other people. And we all know how this works. You know, have you had, are you feeling, are you feeling, uh, you've had a little whatever, tiff, argument, uh, disagreement with someone. Maybe it's someone very close to you. Maybe it's someone in this room. How, how's, how's life going? How's your communion with each other? Is he the first person you ask, you know, I, I like to go to lunch with somebody. Oh, I had a good argument over here with my son, Matthew. I think I'll ask him. No, I just want to kind of avoid him for a week if we've, if we've had that. You know, it's those little sins that they separate. They, they cool the relationship, you could say. And so this is what happens with God when we, when we are involved in these sins. The relationship is kind of cooled. It's diminished. The fellowship 
not completely broken, but it's just not there like it should be. Uh, th- these little sins distract us from living the full life of Christ. The full life we're called to and we're capable of living. All the potential for overflowing joy that we looked at in chapter 1, verse 4. This overflowing joy, this assurance that we have of living in God. The influence that we have on others. All diminished by these little sins. And so we looked, as we read a few minutes ago in chapter 1, verse 7. That sin is part of our life. We know it. We don't do it on purpose. We don't sin because it doesn't matter. We don't sin because, oh, we're going to be forgiven. None of that. The blood of Jesus continually cleanses us of our sins. And so we don't have to go through life thinking we're in danger of hell every time we sin. Every time we sin, we don't don't have to think, well, my, my communion with God is completely broken. It's time for me to pray for forgiveness again. The, the Bible says the blood of Jesus continually cleanses me of my sin. And so as we grow in Christ, what we're learning, what we learn is not how to go to church. <coughs> not that we have to take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Not that we have to do whatever. What we're learning as we grow in Christ is how not to sin. How to live for Him. Maturity in Christ doesn't mean more sin. It means less sin. Maturity in Christ means a greater awareness of sin. I, the things I used to think that were just incon, inconsequential, that didn't matter, as I grow in Christ, I, I begin to realize these are terrible things. These little things, the things I used to dismiss as, as, as oh, everyone does. These are terrible things. Maturity in Christ means I'm aware of these things. I don't want them anymore. The things I used to call mistakes and sensitivities and faults and weaknesses. They can all lead to sin. And I understand that this sin hurts me. It hurts others. It hurts God. And so love for God doesn't increase my desire for sin. It decreases it. If love for God increases your desire for sin, you don't understand God's love. All right? God's love isn't just nice, sweet feelings. Love for God means you esteem everything he says. And you know his way is right. And so you look to it and you say, I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to do anything that God doesn't want me to do. Love for God does not increase our desire to sin. It decreases it. So we come to this this phrase again, sin unto death. What is it? What is this? Over the years, I've been asked about three other scriptures, which I believe are parallel to this passage. I'm going to read them to you quickly and deal with them all at the same time, because I think they're all talking about the same sin. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 28, says, Jesus is speaking here. He says, I tell you the truth, all sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. All right. Hold on. Let's get to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to read verses 4 through 6. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, 
who have shared the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. All right. Chapter 10, starting in verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. If you go down to verse 31, it is dreadful. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so we come to this passage, this sin unto death. I know this may be a matter of opinion here, but I think they're all talking about the same thing. You may come to to me later and say, well, you know, it's different, but okay, I'm preaching. You get to listen for a minute. I think they're all speaking about the same thing. And I've found many tender-hearted Christians that wonder if they've crossed this line. They wondered, have I sinned this sin that's, that can't be forgiven? I've had young Christians come to me, older Christians come to me and just say, I, it, it, have, I, have I done this sin? Am I eternally condemned because I've crossed some line here? And I want you to pull you back to remember chapter 5 and verse 13 of, of 1 John because you know, it's great that we need to remember the whole context here. It's so, so easy to focus on the sin unto death. When he's just said in, chapter thir- in verse 13 of chapter 5, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. You know, if this passage causes you to doubt your salvation, you're probably thinking wrongly. You're probably focused on your sin Rather than the Savior. You've become me-centered once again instead of Christ-centered. And haven't I told you over and over and over that this, what this does, it continually pulls us back to Christ. It continually focuses on Him. So let me quickly focus on, first of all, what this sin is not. A lot of people say, well, I haven't done it. Well, let me show you what it's not. First, this is not a particular unnamed sin. It's not some mysterious sin. You know, some have come to me and they're wondering, have I, have I, have I committed this? I, I don't feel good about myself. Maybe I've committed this unforgivable sin. It's just, I don't know what, what it is. Maybe the one time I'll confess that I cursed God. I cursed God once. Is that the sin? Is it some terrible act I did? I'm really feeling bad by, because of this or that. Is that the sin that cannot be forgiven? I have spit figuratively into the face of Jesus. Just cursed him. Is that the sin? I shook my fist at him. It's not God saying, I will not forgive, because there's this particular awful sin that God just can't bring himself to forgive you of. You see, that's how we act. I've had people say, I just can't forgive them for that. Have you ever said that? I, I, I can't forgive him for that. 
And then we superimpose God upon ourselves, ourselves upon God. And we, are, we say, well, God must be like that too. I've done some particularly bad thing. And God says, that's just too bad. I can't forgive you of that sin. It's not that. It's not a mysterious sin that you don't know what it is. Secondly, it's not a sin that you commit knowing that you are sinning when you do it. People say, but I knew I was sinning when I did that. I knew it was wrong. And I want you to know that it is particularly dangerous when you sin knowing it's a sin because when you do that, it, has, it will harden your conscience and make it easier for you not only to commit that sin again, but will commit any sin. Your conscience becomes hard. And so this is not an excuse to say, okay, you can sin any sin knowing it's a sin. Be careful. When you do that over and over, when you know it's a sin and you do it, it hardens your conscience. And that's very, very dangerous because it not only hardens you for that one sin, but it hardens your conscience for any sin. You know, I also think ignorant sins, sins of ignorance, are really for immature Christians. I understand immature Christians saying, well, I didn't know that was wrong. They, they, haven't, they haven't studied the Bible enough to know right from wrong. The study of the Scripture does that. And as I've said before, Christians, those who are mature in Christ, really think about your, your life. You've been a Christian 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. When you sin, you know it's a sin. You know it. You don't sit there and go, huh, I wonder if that was a sin. You know it. You make excuses. You blame others. You do whatever, but you know it's a sin. And so if it's knowing I'm sinning, we're all, we've all committed the sin unto death. Third, it's not sinning after you become a Christian. Some people say, well, you know, one, I, you know I, I, I pledged to God that I would not sin again. I did. Did you do that when you were, you know, you were baptized? I remember coming out of that water feeling cleansed, completely clean. And I thought to myself, I will never sin again. That lasted five minutes. <laughs> I don't know how long it lasted. I don't know how long it lasted. But you just, you just, I mean, I felt like I was walking on clouds, just pure, clean. And you're just living for the Lord. You're going to focus on the Lord. You're going to be totally committed to him. And then you disappoint yourself so much with that one slip up. It's not committing a sin again after you become a Christian. Because you're going to do it. You're going to do it over and over. You will sin when you become a Christian. You will repeat the same sins over and over. And especially when you start understanding, as we read just a few minutes ago, you divide up sin. There's really three categories of sin. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You commit them over and over. And so if you look at it that way, in fact, if you look at it, there's really one sin. It's all about me. <laughs> That's the sin. It's all about me. It's all about selfishness. And so you're going to commit that sin over and over again. And again, it's not to encourage sin. It's just saying, this is not the sin unto death. So you're sitting there, okay, well, what is it? What is the sin unto death? Let's get to that. This sin unto death 
we have a little Greek class that Ben Clark is teaching on Wednesday nights, and it's really good. He brought out this word. We brought out this word last week. It, it means toward death. The sin toward death. Pros, towards death. You can predict the end result of this sin. It is on the road to spiritual death. I don't know how many times I've sat down in a counseling situation with someone and I've said, if you continue to do this, if you continue to live your life this way, this is the result. This is, this is, going to, this is what's going to happen in your life if you continue down this road. And many times they do, oh, no, they're making excuses and everything. And I say, listen, it's not because I'm so smart. It's not because I've read a lot of books. It's because I've read this book here, the Bible. And if you continue down this road, here's the result. And when they don't listen to me, I say, now, when you get there and you're at that result and you come to me and ask for help, I'm not going to be a good American and say, well, I won't tell you I told you so. I'm going to tell you I told you so. And the reason I'm going to tell you I told you so, because now we've got this problem and we've got to fix it. And if you don't listen to me there, it's going to get worse. And so I'll say, I told you so. Now we've got a bigger problem. This is, this is the same thing. This is a sin that leads, it's in the direction of death, it's toward death. And so this is the person who says, I don't need forgiveness. I don't need forgiveness. This is the person who tastes the goodness of the Lord and says, I don't need that. In Mark chapter 3, we had the Pharisees. They had the obvious evidence of the power of God right there in front of them. Jesus, his teachings... His miracles, particularly his miracles at that point. And they looked at it and said, that's not God, that's Satan. It's not struggling with doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. But it's looking at the evidence right there in front of you. It's looking at your own life and how messed up it is. How terrible your own life is. How sin is infecting your own life and your own relationships. And say, I can fix that. I don't need Christ. I can do it on my own. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. It's examining Jesus who said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and say, no, I think there's another way. There's another way. It's listening to Jesus who said, I am the truth, and then listening to the world's truths, that says there's many truths. Jesus said, I am the truth. And you look at that and say, no, there's many truths. There's many truths. It's hearing that Jesus said, I am the life. And to say, no, there's, there's life beyond that. There's, there's more to life than Christ. This is the sin that leads to death. Jesus says, there's no other life beyond the life that I give. If you go any other route, the direction is death. You have a choice between life and death. And if you don't choose me, you choose death. 
This is a sin that cannot be forgiven because there's no forgiveness apart from Christ. It's like to look at Jesus and just look at his forgiveness and say, no, there's, there's, there's forgiveness other places. But God says clearly, his word says clearly, Jesus says clearly, there's no salvation apart from me. This is placing yourself in an impossible situation of no other possibility but death. This only leads to death. You're certain. You're right. And Christ is wrong. That's the sin that leads to death. Feeling unworthy or trying to find God or struggling with doubt that Jesus is the Son of God, that's not the sin that leads to death. The sin to death are the ones who, as John says in his letter, they've gone out from us. They have no need for a Savior. They no longer need a Savior, so they go out from among us. Why was, cru- why was Jesus crucified by the mobs? Jesus stood in front of Pilate. The mob was around him, and they were saying, crucify him, crucify him. Why? They were saying, you are not who you claim to be. You are not the Savior, they're saying. We have no need for you. When we crucify the Son of God afresh, as we read in the Hebrews passage, that's when one says that Jesus is not who he claimed to be. Your sacrifice, it was meaningless. The cross is not central. I have no need for cleansing blood. That's some old pagan something. That's a sin. That leads to death. It is saying to the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The one who said, I am the truth. To say, no, you're not the truth. You're a liar. 1 John 2.22. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist because he denies the Father and the Son. John is saying here, There's no other forgiveness apart from Christ. There's no other way. A life without Christ is a life that leads to death. That's where it's heading. That's where it's going. If you choose to live a life without Christ, if you who are in Christ choose to do it your own way, you're on a road toward death. That's where you're going. And to pray for someone to be forgiven apart from forgiveness in Christ is to pray asking God for something, for salvation apart from Christ. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to men by which they are to be saved. Sin for the Christian, for the Christian community, when you sin, should continually drive you back to your Savior. Because he's our only hope. When you sin, when a Christian sins, as you will today, sometime today you're going to think wrong, do wrong, act wrong. You're going to do something. And if you sit there and ignore that sin, if you pretend it's not there, if you brush it off, you're doing the wrong thing. 
for the Christian, it should drive us right back to where the cross is. This is my only, this is why I need my Savior. This is why I need Christ. This is why I need the cross. Because I just keep on messing up. That's why I need Him. Any sin that does not drive you back to the cross is a sin toward death. Because the only place our sins can be taken, be taken care of is at the cross. And so for us who are in Christ, here's the good news. Not that we're sinless, perfect people that will never sin, that, always, that we have our lives together. That's, that's a fake Christianity. If you are outside of Christ and you're looking at Christians and saying, they're a bunch of hypocrites, all right, I'm going to just put it out here. This group of hypocrites here, we recognize that we're hypocrites. Does that make us hypocrites? We recognize that we sin. We recognize that we need a Savior. We recognize that we struggle in our sins. We recognize that we don't have our lives together. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we're on the road to life. That's why we're on the way to life. Because He is the only source of life. And He takes care of our sins as we're on that road to life. He continually washes our sins away. Not because we deserve it, but because He is good. And because He is righteous. He's the righteous one. And if you've turned your back on that, my prayer, and I should say this, John doesn't say here, do not pray for this person. He's just saying, there's no other prayer except for him to come back to Christ. That's the only prayer we have for a person who's turned their back on Christ. And so if you turn your back on Christ, my prayer for you is there's one source, there's one direction, there's one truth, there's one hope. Turn back to Him, rely on Him, and come back to Christ. Our elders are all here today, I think, all three of our elders. They're going to come up here. If you need to come back and say, you know, I have turned my back on Christ, I want to come back to Him, this is a great opportunity. If you're outside of Christ and you want to come into Christ, it's a beautiful life because your sins will be washed away, you'll be on that road where your sins are continually purified. And we invite you to become part of this body so we can help each other in our walk with God as we stand and as we sing.